Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. One of the things that we as conservatives, and even Christians for that matter, can get into a habit of doing is looking at all the bad that is happening in the world. We, we look at the world through the lens of the media and, and we see scenarios play out that, that we know are really not going that well. And, and we hear policies being enacted that we know will lead to more hardships and, and difficulties. And, and we see whole generations of people that develop ideologies that, that can and will destroy lives. We can almost get into that old man yelling at the clouds syndrome where where we see all the negative in life. And and I tend to be a very optimistic person and and really very mindful of this kind of thing developing. When I was a kid, I I would watch Adam 12. You, you may not remember that one. It's a, it's a little older of a TV show. But I would watch this show and want to be a police officer. Later in life, I understood the realities of being a police officer and that their job was dealing with the bottom 15% of society every day. <laughs> it, it can put a kind of cynicism in your life. And, and really, no wonder police officers have one of the highest divorce rates of any profession. And, and, I, and I applaud those that are willing to go you know, into that line of work anyway. And, 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 and yet it still highlights something here on this podcast, how, how we look at the world around us and, and all that is going wrong and not develop this same kind of attitude. Well, one of the answers to, to this is that we look for the positive when we can. And it, it has to be a balance Yes, there, there are bad things happening, but there are good things happening too. And we need to celebrate those things just as much as the things that should alarm us. And today, we're going to look at a few things that are good news. From the Daily Wire comes this. The, the conventional wisdom says that young people in the United States are more progressive than their parents and grandparents. And that is likely still true on many issues, but America's younger cohorts have a few viewpoints that may take some by surprise. In a national poll of 18 to 29-year-olds from the Institute of Politics at Harvard University Kentucky School, young people still show a strong degree of support for left-wing policies and positions, yet they also buck expectations on a wide variety of social and economic issues, everything from education to President Joe Biden. Here are some uh, unexpected uh, positions that many young Americans currently hold. Number one, Biden's underwater approval rating. <laughs> President Joe Biden's approval rating among young people, as with other demographics in, in the United States, is abysmally low. The Harvard poll revealed that only 41% of young people approve of Biden's work, even though 46 approved of Biden as recently as fall of last year. Overall, Biden's approval rating among young people has plummeted 18% 
since the spring of last year when it sat at a robust 59. While 70% of young Democrats support Biden, still down 5% since the fall, only 11% of Republicans viewed the commander-in-chief favorably. 11% of Republican uh, individuals in that age range. The largest drop was seen among independent voters whose approval for Biden is at 33%, a 6% drop from just a few months ago. 36% of young people cite ineffectiveness as the reason for disliking Biden, and 14% believe he is not following through on campaign promises. And 10% say that he is not sharing my values. Only 13% believe that America is on the right track, while 49 think the opposite. Meanwhile, 40% of young Democrats and 21% of young Republicans want to see and hear more from President Biden. <laughs> Surprisingly, independents show the lowest desire to hear more from Biden. Only 18% affirm that statement. And I would say maybe the reason for Republicans and, and wanting to hear more from Biden than even independents is because every time he opens his mouth, he says something crazy. So <laughs> I don't know what the reason for it is, but but what, what could be driving Biden's low popularity among young people? I mean, while a slim majority approve of, of Biden's approach to, to COVID-19, 46% approve of his handling of Ukraine of the Ukraine crisis, and a mere 34% approve of his economic performance. But let's look at critical race theory. Even as young people find themselves with conservatives on, on, on parental rights, they still support the teaching of progressive views in government uh, schools. Half of the respondents were asked about their level of agreement with the statement that they would vote for a candidate who supports K-12 public school teaching, that racism, intentional or not, is a fixture of American laws and institutions. The other half were asked if they would vote for a candidate who supports K-12 public school teaching critical race theory. So basically the same question, just phrased a little bit differently. Even when, when considering the question's wording, the results remain the same as parental rights question, a, a two-to-one split. On the former question, 46% agree and 22% disagree. On the latter, uh, the question that, that mentioned critical race theory, it was 44% and 22%, so almost identical. The partisan divide has more significant uh, was more significant with with this question as well. On the critical race theory version of the question, sixty three percent of young Democrats agree, alongside twenty two percent of young Republicans, and thirty eight of young Independents. So, again, some really good news there if you look at it. Twenty two percent of young Republicans don't agree with the critical race area that fa the fact that that their, their, their school should be teaching that kind of stuff. But let's turn our focus to student loan debt. Almost all of the young Americans surveyed agree that something must be done about the student load, loan crisis. However, unlike what many of us would think, you know, boy, they just want, you know, free money and, and, and all of their debt canceled. Uh, their, their preferred approaches, they vary dramatically over that. A, a um, plurality of respondents, 38%, favor outright cancellation of student loans, but only 38%, while 27 agree with the government offering to re, you know, repayment op options without debt cancellation. 21% favor debt cancellation 
for those who you know, most need it, and only 13% believe that the government should stick with its current policy. Overall, 83% of young people li- likely to vote in the 2022 midterms, uh, as well as 79% of those who are not yet in college or without a degree, support government intervention on student debt. The, the partisan divide on this matter is really noticeable, with 43% of Democrat, Democrats favoring outright cancellation of all and only 13% of Republicans favoring the same. Young people also had a surprisingly low view of college education. And this was this is actually something I've been looking at doing a podcast here uh, coming up in the, in the near future on uh, in the, sta- the state of our colleges and, and, and uh, um, the value of a college education at this point in time. Uh, while 48% agree with the statement that going to college is worth the time and money, only 18% strongly agreed with that and 26% disagreed. A mere 62% of college students and 61% of college graduates agree that their education was worthwhile. That's all, That really literally is only two-thirds agree that what they paid for, thousands of dollars, and, and the time spent doing so on all the work and everything was actually meaningful or worthwhile. But how about parental control over education? Most would associate school choice with conservatives and a dogmatic love for government schools with liberals. In any case, young people broadly want parents running the show on the education of their own children. 46% of of poll respondents agree with the statement that parents should have more control over their students' education than they do now, while only 23% disagree with that. Uh, That's that's a two-to-one margin. Young Republicans were far more in support of parents being in control of their children's education, with with 64% agreeing and 14% disagreeing. But with plurality of of young Democrats agreeing as well, get this, with 35% approving the statement and 31% disapproving. We're literally talking about a third would agree with that, even of the Democrats here. Independent and uh, and uh, unaffiliated young voters also show a high level of support for parental rights in education, with 44% agreeing and 20% disagreeing. But when we get to poor mental health, sadly, American young people are, are most united according to um, education, race, and and geography uh, around the, the the poor mental health. The, the the survey shows that 52% of young Americans reported feeling down, depressed, or hopeless for several days or more in in the past two weeks. At least 50% of every subgroup of the aforementioned categories indicated some level of symptoms. Young women, however, were more likely than men to report these symptoms. and 44% respectively. Democrats were more likely to report the symptoms than Republicans, and 56% and 41% respectively there. Now, this is interesting. The young Americans who were most likely to report wanting to hurt themselves or thinking that they are better off dead were those identifying as LGBTQ, with 39% displaying such tendencies. Tied Tied for second place was at 35%, 
young African-Americans and people in a bad financial position. Overall, 28% of young Americans expressed these negative sentiments. A, a slight improvement from this time last year, so we can see things are improving here. According to 70, 72% of Americans, including 76 of Democrats and 72 of Republicans, affirm that the United States has a mental health crisis. Only 6% would disagree with that statement. How, how do young Americans address their feelings uh, of depression and hopelessness? Well, 50% spend time outside. 47% uh, seek the support of of family and friends, and and forty three percent participate in sports or exercise. Thirty eight uh, are are in uh, are interested in professional help, and and that's followed by twenty nine percent that are in, interested in um, meditation. Twenty six percent in prescription medication, and and eighteen uh, percent in church and religious organizations. Eighteen um, percent also in alcohol or drugs, and 18%, or I'm sorry, 8% in support of authority figures. So yes, our handling of COVID has affected especially the young in our society, but things are getting better for them. I mean, speaking of, of, of getting better, the, the, the chickens are starting to come home to roost in the corporate world as well. Uh, Ryan Salvandra, who uh, reports this, says, a new corporate culture memo from Netflix is uh, is is taking a hardline stance on attempts to silence artistic expression by warning those who are offended by the streaming services content that they may want to go find a job elsewhere. Whoa, right? Variety reports that the the change in Netflix uh, uh, company culture appears to be in large part due to the backlash that streaming service faced from woke employees last year over the Dave Chappelle uh, special, which the employees claimed was transphobic. We covered that here on the, on the podcast. The update, updated Netflix culture memo includes a new section called artistic expression that states that it will not censor specific artists or voices, even if employees consider the content harmful. Now that's a switch, isn't it? It says this, quote, and this is kind of interesting. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you, the memo states. And it later is adding that the employees may be required to work on projects that they perceive to be harmful and that if they have a hard time accepting their work assignment, they might want to consider working somewhere else. <laughs> entertaining this is what this, this is directly from them it says entertaining the world is an amazing opportunity and also a challenge because viewers have very different tastes and points of view so we offer a wide variety of tv shows and movies some of which can be provocative the new the new section reads uh, a little bit later past this it says we support the artistic expression of creators we choose to work with and that we let viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. Wow. Netflix reportedly fired the leader of a trans organization within the company last October who allegedly organized a walkout to protest the company's backing of Chappelle over his special, The Closer. 
And The Verge reported this. It says the, the employee was terminated on suspicion of leaking metrics to the press related to the, the, the special. Those metrics about how much Netflix paid for the closer and how many people it reached subsequently ended up in a report on Bloomberg. So while the employee had shared the metrics in, uh, internally, uh, they spoke out against the leaks to colleagues, uh, worried that they might hurt the, the, the walkout movement. The leak, leaking of internal data is highly unusual at Netflix. And while the company prides itself on transparency, employees are told that the culture can only thrive when Netflix data remains internal. And this leads us to the question of why is Netflix taking this change of direction now? I mean, why now? I mean, we, we, we've seen uh, this woke culture uh, within the culprit culture. And, and well, it, it's, it's looking like it might be a little bit on the financial side. From the Washington Free Beacon, just days after a, a nature documentary hosted by former President Barack Obama launched on Netflix, the streaming company is in shambles with its shares in freefall. On April 13th, Netflix released all five episodes of his documentary series, Our Great National Parks, produced and narrated by Obama. While culture critics in the liberal media received the series warmly, even as one admitted, I can't say that I learned a tremendous amount, investors were less convinced. In a stunning show of pessimism in the company's situation, Netflix stock imploded, plummeting 37% by the next morning. The collapse was driven by Netflix's announcement that it lost subscribers last quarter for the first time in more than a decade. The service is scrambling to remedy its poor subscriber numbers, announcing last month that it plans to, to start changing customers or charging customers for sharing their accounts with others. The company's decline is a reflection of the uh, failure of its costly partnership with the former president. Netflix in 2018 entered into a multi-year agreement with, the Obama, with, with Obama and his wife, Michelle, to produce films and series. It's unclear exactly how much cash the company burned to hire the Obamas, but considering that Netflix paid the creator of Glee $300 million for a five-year deal, the amount was likely exorbitant. Through that deal, the, the Obamas brought to Netflix a documentary called American Factory about an Ohio auto factory bought out by a Chinese state-backed company. While the film purported to shed light on a clash of cultures and the struggles of the American working class, it instead served as a platform for communist oligarchs for propaganda. Uh, if if communist propaganda wasn't unpalatable enough for viewers, the Obamas were reportedly working on bringing the Netflix a kid a kid show called "Listen to Your Vegetables and Eat Your Parents," <laughs> a revival of Michelle Obama's failed crusade to get kids kids to eat healthier. Some critics of Netflix argue that the company's programming across the board, not just the content the Obamas have brought to the site is to blame for the company's just hemorrhaging of subscribers. Tesla CEO, in fact, Elon Musk said that 
that the the woke mind virus has made Netflix unwatchable. The the critique is is born out of the Netflix's release of of He's Expecting. That was a, that was a, a a show. He's Expecting, a, a Japanese film about a successful cisgender man forced to confront social inequities he'd never considered before when he became pregnant. <laughs> so so you you see things are changing for the good. And if that isn't enough, the Supreme Court look looks to be on on a course to reverse Roe versus Wade. Maybe as early as this week, we'll see. Let, let's let's take a look at how we got to this awesome moment, can we? Zach Jewell says in in March of of 2018, Governor Phil Bryant, he's the, the Republican from from Mississippi, uh, enacted a an abortion ban similar to those on the books in many European countries, saying that abortion clinics in Mississippi would be barred from aborting preborn babies after 15 weeks of pregnancy. But the ban, called the Gestational Act, uh, Age Act, never went into effect. Jackson Women's Health Organization, Mississippi's only licensed abortion clinic, sued to stop it. This is the way that they chip away at abortion until it goes away, Jackson Women's Health Director Shannon Brewer uh, recently said uh, of the law. It's 15 weeks, and then it's going to be 14 weeks, and then it's going to be 10 weeks. And then is that this is the way that they do it, she said. The law wouldn't have changed much. I mean, as, as the abortion clinic said, it already did not perform abortions after 16 weeks of pregnancy. Even at, at its signing, Bryant did not view the 15-week ban as the final victory, but but just simply another step toward protecting the unborn. He said, quote, we'll probably be sued here in about a half an hour. <laughs> and that's fine with me, he said. It's, it's worth fighting over. And it was. A, a, a clinic doctor immediately filed a, a lawsuit uh, in, a, in a district court accusing the lawmakers of directly violating Roe, Roe v. Wade and other decisions that followed. According to Roe, the subsequent cases, states must allow abortion up to 24 weeks of pregnancy, or as the majority in in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, and and they put it, uh, the point of viability, as 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 they describe it, the district court granted the abortion clinic a temporary restraining order, and then enjoined the state from enforcing the 15 week abortion ban, ruling that Mississippi did not pr- uh, prove an unborn baby is viable at 15 weeks, arguing based on on the precedent set by, of course, Roe, that the state could not ban abortion before viability. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the district court's decision, leading Mississippi to petition the Supreme Court. In, in in, in, In the state's brief to the court, the petitioners acknowledged the lower courts required were required to strike it down. I mean, the the 15-week abortion ban was, was went against uh, Roe v. Wade and 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 pled that the court would review the precedent set by Roe and Casey. Their brief did not mince words. It basically, just said this: Roe and Casey are are egregiously wrong, and and it was a direct challenge to the precedent set by the majority in 1973 case. The state questioned whether the Supreme Court's precedent set by Roe and Casey were unconstitutional and argued that the the conclusion that abortion is a constitutional right has no basis in text, in in structure, in history, 
or in tradition. The Supreme Court agreed to take Mississippi's case and began to hear the argument on December 1st of last year. And again, we did a podcast on that. From the, from the outset of the hearing, the, the country knew of the potential ramifications of a decision on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Quote, feelings ran high, Scotus blog wrote on, on December 1st, as protesters gathered around the Supreme Court building and, and while justices listened to the arguments. Abortion supporters immediately began um, began being nervous, and, and pro-life advocates saw a glimmer of hope. Conservatives had been longing for the court to overturn the infamous 1973 decision, and now the court tilted their way with six Republicans uh, joined um, together, and, and, and at least three um, justices who clearly viewed Roe as unconstitutional. Justice Clarence Thomas has not been shy with his view on the matter. He quote, our, our abortion precedences are grievously wrong and should be over, overruled, he wrote in a, in a 2020 um, dissenting opinion. And he added this. He says, the Constitution does not contain the, the, the state's ability to um, re- regulate or even prohibit abortion. For Justice Samuel Alito, his view on abortion goes all the way back to 1985 when he was a lawyer for the Justice Department. In a memo written by Alito, he said the government should make clear that we disagree with Roe v. Wade. Alito's leaked uh, draft um, opinion on Dobbs is uh, is confirmation that he obviously continues to hold the same view on abortion as he did 30 years ago. Uh, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, he, uh, he wrote in the leaked draft. However, the leaked majority opinion does not outlaw abortion or prohibit states from uh, you know allowing the practice. It just simply allows the issue to be you know dictated at the state level. Quote, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. This is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand, he added. The other three conservative justices were were all appointed by President Donald Trump, who promised to only appoint those who would uh, overturn Roe if given the opportunity. And with appointments of, um, of Gorsuch, of Kavanaugh, and of Coney Barrett, the court has uh, had had five justices who who liberals uh, and, and conservatives view as as threats to Roe. The, the the perfect storm began to rage right before the court agreed to hear the case brought to them by Mississippi. Alarm bells from the pro abortion crowd uh, sounded just before the Supreme Court began its hearings on the case, and Dobbs was a threat to them not only because it challenged Roe but more practically because dozens of states had laws on the books that would immediately ban or restrict abortion if Roe no longer uh, was a protected practice. As, as the court began its hearings on Dobbs, the abortion, pro-abortion uh, uh, Gutenmeier Institute uh, wrote this. It said, quote, By the time the Supreme Court hears oral arguments in the Mississippi case, there will be nine states with an abortion ban still on the books from before Roe v. Wade. 12 states with a trigger ban uh, tied to Roe being overturned. Five states with a near total abortion ban enacted after Roe. 11 states with with six-week ban that is not in effect, um, that's not in effect. And one state, Texas, 
with a six-week ban that is in effect, one state with an eight-week ban that is not in effect, and four states whose constitution specifically bar a right to abortion. Some states have multiple types of bans in place. So we can see there are lots, lots of things that are going to happen if this gets overturned. Another pro-abortion organization, the Center for Reproductive Rights, has been tracking which states would be hostile toward abortion if Roe was overturned. According to their map, nearly half of the states have pre-abortion laws or trigger bans that would enact severe restrictions or outright bans on abortion should Roe fall. From the time the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case, Dobbs has posed as a has, as a threat to the nearly 50-year-long abortion protection given by Roe. Uh, given by Roe, Dobbs hasn't just been another case before the the court's nine justices. It has been a looming verdict on a practice that defined America's political atmosphere and culture wars for decades. So, so let's let's keep this this good news going, can we? I mean, we've we've heard all this good news today, all these different things that, you know, maybe fly in the face of what we just normally assume uh, is the case. We see things happening that are awesome. We see, uh, we, we see uh, things that we, we thought were changing for the bad. They're not. Things are getting better. Let's keep this going. If, if you have something, we would love to hear from you. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.